All right, everybody, if you want to, uh, you're welcome to grab some coffee or some water while I'm teaching today. Uh, I am feeling pretty well better, but my throat took a hit this week as I was coughing. And so if I sound rough or if my voice gives out about three quarters of the way through, please forgive me. Um, you guys remember the old WWF wrestlers called the Bushwhackers? You guys remember those guys? And like they were a tag team duo. So we have no plans for tag teaming, but if my voice goes, um, I think I'll be all right. But if my voice goes, I'm going to tag in uh, one of the other elders. And yeah, right? What's that? Skip the introduction, go right to it, and we'll be fine. Then, we'll, then we won't even have to worry. I'm known, by the way, for giving a really long introduction. That's my thing. And then a really short sermon. So here we are. We're going to be at Acts chapter 5 today. Does anybody remember? Now, we haven't done like we normally do to say here is like the theme. But based on what we've taught so far, what would you say is the theme of the book of Acts? Boldness, I would say, is a key theme. Um, how about this? Who is the key? Who's the hero of the book of Acts? Who's the main character? Holy Spirit's the main character. And when he shows up, what always happens? Oh, Sam. The gospel always gets preached. Now, sometimes he shows up and there's a miracle and then they preach the gospel. Sometimes he shows up, somebody gets arrested, and then they preach the gospel. Sometimes he shows up, and somebody does something really generous, and then they preach the gospel. Um, sometimes, as we're going to see today, there is civil disobedience, and then they preach the gospel. Uh, so if you would, look with me very briefly to the end of chapter 4, and I would love for someone to read... We're not going to talk about it much, but just to set the context, got to get somebody to read chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. Go for it, Dan. Now, a couple of things we need to just kind of set this up with, because there are heathens that go about saying that this is communism. Can somebody really quickly tell me the difference between this and Marxist communism? They voluntarily did this. This is, first of all, voluntary, and it is based on, like, there is not even a religious compulsion here. There's not anybody preaching and saying, this, you should do this to be more holy. This is, as we're going to see, people who are legitimate private property owners who were choosing to sell, as we understand, some of, not all of, their possessions to benefit others. Really cool. Um, cool here, we see Barnabas introduced. He's going to be a key player later on. But let me just set the stage, because this is really important. This is not Marxist communism. 
Marxist communism is a godless system that goes directly against the law of God. The law of God presupposes private property. Uh, the fact that we have a command that says thou shalt not steal very clearly promotes the idea that there is such a thing as private property. Uh, just to make it really clear, Marxism is evil. We hate it. It is anti-God. It is anti-Christian. It is evil. So, But there's something else happening here and that there's a wonderful thing that God is doing. There is something very particular about the Holy Spirit's work in this season and people are joyful and they're seeing God moving and they're like, man, this is awesome. Let's care for each other and let's, you know what, I'm going I'm to donate this money for us to care for hungry people, blah, blah, like, and it was wonderful. All right, and I will say, I, I'm, I don't, I can't say that what's happening in our church now is exactly like what's happening in the book of Acts, but can I just say we have some cool things like this? I have... I have known, I have been blessed by this church in pretty cool ways. I have known of times where people did big things to care for people in the church. And it's not quite exactly like Book of Acts here, but it's really cool. And can I just tell you so many times there's these behind the scenes things where somebody just does something huge and it's awesome. God's good. His family still cares for one another and it's a pretty awesome thing. All right, now all this set up here though, the Holy Spirit's moving. There's a lot of unity. That unity is directly tied to the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. All right, that's important as we go into chapter 5. So could I get someone to read chapter 5, verses 1 through 6? Go for it, brother. Um, a very last verse there, just for the sake of closing out, says the young men rose and wrapped uh, him up and carried him out and buried him. That might not seem so significant, but from, from a literary perspective, that's going to become important here in just a second. All right, now, I need to point out a few more things. First of all, at the first glance reading this, it sounds like Ananias has been struck dead because he didn't give enough, right? And if we don't pay attention to what's happening here, somebody's going to be like, well, wait a minute. He's in tr he got struck dead because he didn't give all the money from the land? Well, some key things I want to point out. Peter says, hey, it was your land. You didn't have to sell it. Nobody's making you sell it. And after you sold it, the money was your money. You didn't have to even give all of it. The issue here is that he's lying about it. And I want to, keep up, I want to draw in special attention to this phrase, kept back, in, uh, that is in verse 2. Anybody know what the Septuagint is? Anybody remember? What's the Septuagint? Uh, that's Pentateuch, but you're close. Um, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So kind of a cool thing. Uh, not everybody knows this. We know that the, the Old Testament, this is going to be important in just a second. Uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew originally. A little bit of, uh, little bit of other things, but for the most part, Hebrew. And uh, way back they translated the Old Testament into Greek, 
really cool backstory in history as to why they were doing that. But what's kind of cool is that the New Testament writers had access to the Septuagint. In fact, when we see the Old Testament quoted in the New Testament, because the New Testament's written in Greek, a lot of its quotations are actually taken from the Greek Septuagint. Really cool. That's going to matter in a second. What's really interesting about this phrase kept back here in verse 2, it's not used very often, but it directly refers to hiding something. It's not just that he didn't give all of the money from the land. Is that he, it, it implies that he deceived it and did something shady. We see this word used also in Joshua 7.1 when Achan hides back spoils of war that he wasn't supposed to take. So the very use of this word, if you were reading the Greek and you were familiar with the Septuagint, you would have known just like that, that he did something deceptive, that he was doing something sinful. So many times, though, people read this and they don't know that, and so they're like, what? He's in trouble because he didn't give all? He's not in trouble because he didn't give all. He's in trouble because he lied about it. Does this make sense? This is really, really important because there are those who would leverage a passage like this and would say, see, a good Christian sells everything he has and gives it to the church, right? This is the kind of thing that a false teacher like a Kenneth Copeland or a Benny Hinn would leverage to try to get money for himself, right? I just want to make clear, like, please don't feel guilty if you sell something and you're going to donate from that. Like, don't feel guilty to not donate all of it. But here's key. Do not ever deceive the Holy Spirit. Notice something. We've been talking all this time about what is it that is filling them. Before someone does something really cool, what does it say? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice here in verse, is this verse 3? Yeah. Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? We're seeing this very clear, direct contrast. He's like, everybody else has been filled with the Holy Spirit. That's resulted in unity and love, and everybody's caring for each other. Now you saw that Barnabas did this thing, and he donated the money from this field, and everybody thought it was cool, and now you are trying to get the same type of attention and you're lying to get it, you are lying not just to us, but to the Holy Spirit, and that's the result of Satan filling your heart, not the Holy Spirit. There is a really clear contrast here. And here's what's interesting. There's a lot of things interesting here. But what's happening is Satan is trying to disrupt the unity of the body of Christ because that unity is resulting in the proclamation of the gospel. And what he hates more than anything is the proclamation of the gospel. Well, you could say he hates God's glory, but since the proclamation of the gospel brings God glory, anyway. So notice lots of interesting things in here. When he is struck down dead, which by the way, God could do that any time if he wanted to. But it appears that in the book of Acts, there is a very particular special thing going on. The presence of the Spirit is unique. There's something special happening. And it seems that just God is taking that very seriously. And so right here, it reminds me of like when someone touched the ark in the Old Testament and he dies suddenly. Same kind of thing seems to be happening here. God's like, we got something special going on and I am not going to let anyone mess it up here. And so immediate death. Notice the result. It says, great fear came upon all who heard of it. Do you think that that maybe probably led to, first of all, this is the idea of this great fear, is that this respectful awe of the Holy Spirit I think that's something kind of cool. You will hear in a lot of 
charismatic circles, not all, I don't want to dog the charismatics all the time, but let's face it, there are a lot of kind of prosperity gospel churches that they talk about, oh, the Holy Spirit's going to fall, and I told the Holy Spirit to do this, and I told him to do that, and there's this kind of flippancy. Let me just tell you, the language of scripture, the Holy Spirit is associated with fire, and sometimes that fire comes and strikes people dead and burns them up, and it is a serious thing, and we are supposed to have awe for the Holy Spirit because he is God. And we're not supposed to screw around with the Holy Spirit. And so please don't be flippant about the Holy Spirit. This is why we hold to what we call the regulative principle in worship. We try not to do anything in the assembly that God hasn't somewhere in Scripture said you should do this. Because there are times in the Old Testament where somebody got messing with worship and they bring strange fire to the altar. God strikes them dead. God takes his worship seriously. He takes the unity of the body seriously. He takes the gospel seriously. And man, we're seeing this. Cool. Could I get somebody to read verses 7 through 11 for me? I'll do it. Go for it. Thanks, brother. About three hours later, his wife came, came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. Peter said, how could the two of you even think of doing a thing like this, conspiring together to test the spirit of the Lord? Just outside that, just outside that door are the young men who buried your husband, and they will carry you out too. Instantly she, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and and buried her beside her husband. Her great fear gripped the entire church and others who heard what had happened. Yeah, so notice, this is one more confirmation when Peter, thank you very much, Marty, when Peter says, is this how much you sold the land for? And she reiterates the lie. This is where we get further clarification that the issue is the lie, right? Um, Notice, though, Peter's comment to her He's like, why have you decided to test the spirit of the Lord? You guys recognize this from anywhere? We've heard this language anywhere else. Might be a little vague, but we actually see this in Exodus 17, in Deuteronomy, I think, 6 or 16. The idea of testing the Lord, where God talks about, like, you're not supposed to test me. Right? You're, you're not supposed to sin against me and see if I might bring judgment upon you. God has very clear language, and it's wild, you guys. What we see happening in Acts seems to parallel so much of what was happening to the children of Israel in Exodus, Deuteronomy, and that whole era, because the Holy Spirit is moving in a powerful way, and he's establishing something important, just as it was very important he was establishing the law of God. And so there's this wild... Not why. Well, you could say why. I don't know the right word for it. There's some serious heaviness where God is saying, like, do not test me. It's serious. And notice the result. People are like, whew, don't want to mess around with the Holy Spirit. I just say, I recognize we have not had anyone stand up here, please don't, and test God in this way. Don't ever do it. Right? Um, but I tell you, if we saw that with our own eyes, I think we would take serious things like church discipline. I think we do take church discipline seriously. But I've, I've, I, will, I will notice, like, there's not a whole lot of churches that do church discipline. People don't tend to like it. 
Because what they want, like, when you do church discipline, they're like, that's just kind of mean. And like, why are you holding the line? You know, that couple's just living together. Why are you holding the line on them? Oh, that guy, he did this. Yeah, but why do you, why do you got to hold the line on that? It's because God cares about holiness. When we look at Deuteronomy, do you know how many times where it talks about even the death penalty? We don't execute the death penalty. We are not civil magistrates, right? Just to be very clear. But like he mentions the death penalty and he says, purge out the evil from among you, right? We do church discipline to try to, as best we can, honor the holiness of God. And man, God was going to make sure that his church was holy and that he, man, he, for crying out loud, strikes people dead. We should have the same level of sobriety about it. Anyway, all that said, I would say that this next section we're about to read directly relates. Uh, could I get someone to read verses 12 through 16? I got it. Go for it, Sam. Portico. Okay. Who does this sound like? Sounds a whole lot like Jesus. Even down to the fact that this is happening, a lot of this is happening at Solomon's portico. You you may recognize that from uh, there. I think it's also in Acts three. I could be wrong about that. Um, pretty sure it's Acts three. But then also in John ten, Solomon's portico was like this covered porch area at the temple where Jesus would hang out. So Jesus actually made a clear claim to deity at Solomon's portico, interestingly enough. And here now we have the apostles hanging out there. This would have been a public place at the temple, but a public place. And they're regularly there, and they are doing what? They are showing by signs and wonders that they have been sent by Jesus himself. You do not see the other disciples and the other believers have this ability. These signs and wonders are being done by, by God through the apostles to show that they are indeed Jesus' apostles. Cool. Just as when Jesus was doing these things, it was to show that he was sent by God, and as we saw him say at Solomon's portico, he is God. The apostles have a whole different thing. They are being, they're essentially have, this is their, the sign of God on them to say that like, we aren't just some believers, praise the Lord for believers, we actually have authority as Christ's sent ones. Now, we could have a whole conversation about the office of apostle, um, but apostle means sent one. These guys were sent directly by Jesus, and that was one of the requirements. We actually saw that in Acts 1, right, where like they had to have been witnesses of Jesus, 
They had to be sent by Jesus to match as apostles, right? This is why we do not have apostles in this sense now. If someone tries to tell you that they're an apostle, you should say, who sent you? Because that's what apostle means, is sent one. And if they say apostle, and they just mean little a apostle, I'm going to say, well, why are you using that word? Because there's a lot of weight associated with that word. But like, whatever. If they try to say, oh, no, 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 I'm an apostle in the, you know, sense of like Peter and John, I'm going to be like, no, you're not. You can't be because you are not 2,000 some years old. Uh, Second, we don't have any of those apostles here to affirm you if you are. Because Paul, we do have, kind of comes in in a different way. But guess what? The apostles say, yep, that guy, he's a legit apostle. Um, All very important. But these guys are doing all these things, showing who they are. And what do they do as a result? Do they say, hey, give to my awesome ministry so I can buy my jet? What do they do? What do they do as a result of the authority that is proven here? I guess we should be read the re- next section to know, shouldn't we? All right, could I get someone to read verses 17 through 21? Oh, go for it, Dick. Excellent. Thank you. All right. So the simple answer is that what they did with the authority that came with this is they preached the gospel. Right. Simple as that. Little key side note. There's a whole lot of reasons why we can say that a lot of these supposed preachers and faith healers are false teachers. But one of the reasons is when a supposed move of the Holy Spirit happens, it very seldom results in them actually proclaiming the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection. And if, if a supposed movement of God is not accompanied with the proclamation of the gospel, it is highly suspect. Because, I'm not kidding, every time the Holy Spirit moves in the book of Acts, the gospel is preached. So if for some reason you're not preaching the gospel, like, well, then you're not being like those 12 apostles. Anyway, more on that later. It's my other phrase I say all the time. Um, all right, so a couple of key things here we need to point out. Uh, first of all, we notice that this high priest is getting frustrated. And then notice it says, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. Do you notice something? In the book of Acts, we seem to see the Sadducees, we're going to see it more here, the Sadducees seem to be the ones that are against the apostles the most. Who was always fighting with Jesus in the Gospels? Anybody remember? Sadducees, Sadducees some, but who do we see more? The Pharisees. Here's something wild, you guys. Uh, In that time, there were three major sects. You had the Essenes, who, as far as we know, they rejected the temple. They thought that it didn't count anymore because it had been profane and there was a whole thing. And they actually kind of had a point. I'm not sure I agree with them. But anyway, the Essenes hardly ever come on the scene (laughs) because they're way out in, like, the desert somewhere. 
right? Um, some people think John the Baptist may have been an Essene, which is kind of interesting, right? It doesn't really matter. The reality is they're not in any of the debates because they're not hanging out at the temple because they don't believe in the temple. So then Jesus essentially ends up dealing with two groups. One is the Pharisees and the other is the Sadducees. The Pharisees get a bad rap at times, but the Pharisees had a high value for the law. They tended to be laymen who studied the word. They were really good at exegeting scripture, but they had a real high value on a lot of their traditions. Right? So Jesus comes along, he's not following their traditions, and they want to know whose authority are you doing these things on, and this is why they're always coming to, to blows. The other, not to blows, um, although kind of. Um, the other issue that happens with the Pharisees is that, man, they believe that we're honoring God right now, and so he's going to bless us, right? And Jesus is standing there saying, I'm God, you're not honoring me, he's going to bring judgment on you. And so there's an eschatological issue with them, and then there's also a law thing. Jesus is particularly, he's perfectly obeying the law, but he's not obeying it in the way that the Pharisees think it should be obeyed, and that's questioning their authority and their tradition, and they don't like it, so they're fighting with him a lot. But here's what's wild. We see a lot of Pharisees come to Christ. We see like Nicodemus, and we see others. And so over the course of the gospel, certainly, I mean, they're a big part of getting Jesus crucified, but something seems to happen we know there were a lot of Pharisees getting saved. I can't even say the majority, I mean, I guess theoretically. But at this point in Acts, the Pharisees seem to be less of an issue. I'm not saying they're not an issue, but they're less of an issue, and we know a lot of them have become Christians. The Sadducees are a different story. The Sadducees are kind of like, if you could think of in, the, in now terms, think of them as like the theologically liberal group. It's not the same. Right? Think of the Pharisees are like these are guys who believed in the word, they trusted it, they believed in that there was a resurrection to come, they believed in angels, they believed in an afterlife, they believed in that God had planned things. The Sadducees did not believe that God had planned things ahead of time. Uh, they did not believe in a resurrection. They believed when you were dead, you were dead, and that was it. Uh, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't really kind of like miracles at all. And so now here, the Pharisees, some of them are coming to join the Christians, and the Sadducees are over here saying like, well, we don't, we, we don't believe in the resurrection, and these guys are saying that Jesus rose from the dead. So they're really not liking this. So they're kind of siding, well, they would have already been siding with the high priest, but now you've got this thing going on where, like, they really don't like the Christians. And so we're seeing this escalation, and notice, they're jealous. I mean, the language here is that they are jealous. Not jealous because they want God to get glory and that they think this is a false teaching. They are losing power. Cool, that was a lot of background. Everybody still with me? All right, cool. All right. So notice what happens, though. They have the apostles arrested. They throw them in a public prison. What does this tell us? The fact that it's a public prison. Who is backing? Does this mean this is only a religious thing that's happening? No. All right? Because we're going to get to something in verse 29 here that has implications for civil disobedience. It just does. And there are a lot of people that are going to try to say, oh, they were, it was only a religious disobedience thing. No, 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 no. These guys had the power of the Roman state behind them, and they are leveraging it. This is not merely a religious issue. This is a public issue. This is a civil discourse issue. This is a political issue. Um, anyway, all right, so a couple of things, though. This is what's interesting. They get them arrested because they're jealous, and an angel of the Lord comes and lets them right out, and he says, hey, go preach the gospel. He actually specifically says, uh, all the words of this life, 
Uh, there are some who believe that the early Christians, they weren't called Christians initially, they were called disciples, or they were called people of the way, and we think that some might have actually been called people of the life, because a lot of times in the book of Acts, they refer to the fact that like Jesus is the author of life, and so it seems that the when the angel says, go teach them about this life, that it's capitalized in a lot of Bibles, because the idea is like, go and teach them about Jesus, teach them about the author of life, all right? So notice, this pretty quickly... We're going to see this even more, but this pretty quickly shows that uh, the high priest and the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, they don't really have any power. They can't even keep these guys in prison. And this should be, this is showing us something. These guys have the vestments of power without having real power. Anyway, uh, so could I get someone to read verses 22 through 26? Go for it, brother. Yes. Okay. Does this seem almost like an episode of like Hogan's Heroes? <laughs> or I don't know, like Laurel and Hardy? Like this is supposed to be comical, you guys. Like these guys who are, are I mean, they have the power of the Roman state behind them. And they look like fools for crying out loud. They called together an assembly to be like, we're going to figure out what to do with these guys. And they're probably feeling all big and bad. And they're like, hey, we went to the jail and they're not there. And then somebody runs in like, hey, those guys are preaching out there. And it's like, and like, you, you know that they're like, oh my gosh. Like, it says they're perplexed because they were like, what's going to come of this? They're ashamed. The guys who are supposed to be in charge, that uh, they, 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 they got nothing. And so now they're really upset to the point where, like, the guards go to get them and they don't bring them by force because they were scared they would be stoned to death. You guys, there was not many things you could get stoned to death for in, in the Old Testament law, right? It means people were probably believing, well, we know, people were believing that Jesus really was God. And you could stone someone for blasphemy. And these guys are like, uh, uh, you could get stoned for other things, right? So it's not necessarily that they were afraid that they would be accused of blasphemy. But they know, like, hey, woo, we're not in charge anymore, right? So it looks like the apostles come voluntarily. I mean, it could have been that, like, by not by force, it's like the guards are like, you need to come with us. And they're not, like, grabbing them hostilely. But in any case, uh, they, they, know, they know the jig is up. All right. Keep in mind, Jesus has prophesied that judgment was going to come on the false leaders of Israel. And man, this is like the, the death rattle of this false priesthood. All right, so could someone read uh, verses 27 through 32? I will. Go for it, Marty. They brought the apostles in before the council. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name? High priest demanded. Instead, you have you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about Jesus, and you intend to blame us for his death. And down to what? 
Uh, 32. You're doing good. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than, hu- than human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by crucifying him. Then God put him in the place of honor at the right hand as a prince and savior. He did this to give the people of Israel an opportunity to turn from their sins and turn to God so so their sins would be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so in the Holy Spirit, who will give by God to those who obey him. All right. So we got to address this. This is huge. Now, you already have the... Uh, the high priest and the Sanhedrin homies have egg on their face because of the situation. And so now they've brought these disciples in front of them and they're like, hey, didn't we tell you not to talk about this guy? So they're trying to kind of still act tough. Like, didn't we tell you not to preach about this Jesus? And you're trying to bring his blood upon us. And guess what? It's like, yep, they absolutely are. If you look at the other presentations of the gospel that Peter did, he says things like, you crucified him. Right? But notice the language Jesus says. He's like the God of our fathers. That means this is not some new religion, you guys. This is what our fathers believed. This is the Messiah that has been prophesied. This is the God of creation. He raised Jesus. He's like, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. You might remember that scripture talks about cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. He's saying, you, crucif- you, you killed him in the worst way possible. Because he was taking on the curse. And then he says, But God exalted him in the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He's saying, like, you guys, repentance is available. All right? This is huge. Can I just point something out, though? Here, these guys have said, don't preach this. Peter responds in verse 29, We must obey God rather than men. And then what does he do? In a direct act of defiance, he preaches that very gospel to their faces right there. Man, it's cool. All right? Now, there are those, especially, I'm just going to pull the lid right off of this can and acknowledge, there are those, even among evangelicalism in the last few years, that have made comments like, oh, no, 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 Romans 13, you should never disobey governing authorities. Right, and so when the so if they say that your church isn't allowed to do this, you can't. Or or there are those who would say, well, no, you know, you're not supposed to do this in a school because it's public and it's a secular space. And I just tell you, Jesus is king everywhere. He's king everywhere, right? And this is not merely an inter-church, inter-religious conflict that's happening. These guys are leveraging the police to try to get their way. By the way, Sadducees had some interesting backroom deals going on with the Roman authorities, right? And Peter looks it dead in the eye and says, no, we must obey God rather than men. And I know we've, we've, we taught through Romans not long ago. Romans 13 teaches that the people in authority are to be God's servants. And in so much as they are a terror to evil and an affirmation to good, they are doing God's work, praise the Lord, and you should obey them. But man, when they step outside of that zone, you got to disobey because otherwise now they now you've put them in the place that only God can be and that is the supreme authority. 
Anyway, important thing. So, beautiful thing here. So, can we just notice, though, Holy Spirit shows up, miracle happens, gospel is preached. Holy, Holy Spirit fills people, there's unity, gospel is preached. People are healed, gospel is preached. Civil disobedience, gospel is preached. Should you be in a situation where you need to disobey a governing authority? And I think there's actually a lot of, a lot of reasons. You're, you're probably going to have to. Our kids are going to have to. We already should probably more than we do. Um, it better result in the proclamation of the gospel. And if you can't tie it to that, it doesn't mean directly. Like it might be like, hey, we're meeting for church even though you told us not to. And by the way, we're going to preach the gospel there. Like it, it might not be just, a, hey, you're not allowed to say that anymore. It might be something that seems relatively benign, but it's not their business to tell us what's right or wrong on that. right? But it better result in the proclamation of the gospel, you guys. Anyway, could I get someone to read verses 33 through the end of the chapter? Go for it, man. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little longer. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Yeah, buddy. All right. Notice every time it comes back to, and they kept on preaching the gospel, right? Um, I want to point out something here about this Gamaliel guy. Because it sounds like he's kind of the, the level-headed sage. And he, he is. Like, we, we understand Gamaliel to be a well-respected teacher. He was a Pharisee. Interestingly enough, we find out later that Paul studied under Gamaliel. Uh, so this guy, and Pharisees, again, Pharisees do some bad things. We know this. But, like, they were good scholars, right? They got it wrong about Jesus, but a lot of them changed their mind about that. And it seems like Gamaliel might be coming around to Jesus anyway here, right? But he points out something really cool that should encourage us greatly right now. Oh, man. He points out, he's like, hey, man, this Thutius guy rose up. And, by the way, we have no other record of Thutius in history except for this right here. This Thutius guy rose up, and he had some people following him, and then he got killed, and everybody dispersed. And then this Judas guy rose up, which, by the way, uh, Josephus, and I think it's Antiquities, he references this guy. So this guy made a splash, right? He's like, he, he rose up claiming to be somebody, and then he got killed, and his people are scattered, right? He's like, but these guys, these guys haven't scattered. There, there's something different here. We, we killed their leader, and they're growing. Which, by the way, it's because the leader's still alive, and he's still alive today. Right. And so they're like, what do we what do we do about this, you guys? And so he's saying, like, I'm just saying, I don't think we want to we don't, we, we don't want to come against. This is something different, because it seems like if we resist this, 
we might even find ourselves resisting God. I mean, the implication is here is that it sure sounds like this is of God. By the way, the miracles are happening, right? Just not long ago, somebody got healed, and like they don't even dispute the miracle. They acknowledge the miracle. They just still don't want to trust in all this. But Gamaliel is saying, like, you guys, I don't think we want to mess with this. Can I just say, this has been a theme for all of history. Uh, I just got into a book. I'm going to recommend this book called Gashmu Saith It. Has anybody ever heard of Gashmu? No? Right? I'm going to tell you, shows up one time in the book of Nehemiah. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Gashmu, so when Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall, he's trying to restore the people of Israel. He's trying to build faithful community of God's people. These people come along and they're like, hey, 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 uh, our neighbors, our, our pagan neighbors, they don't like this, that you're doing this. So they're going to come, because you're building this wall, they're going to come and attack. You're just antagonizing all the people that are against the people of God. You're making it worse, Nehemiah, so stop. Because what they're saying is, you building up defenses makes our enemies mad, so you shouldn't build up defenses. And one of the things, they're talking about all these, and they're like, Gashmu saith it. It's, it's like saying like, hey, obviously Gashmu is really important. You should be afraid, because Gashmu saith it. And you know what Nehemiah did? He kept building the wall. And no one has ever heard of Gashmu since. Right? So I want you to just think for a moment. Right here, right here in the book of Acts, the, you don't get much bigger than the high priest, and the high priest and all of his comrades are bearing the sword of Rome. And they're saying, you need to back off teaching this gospel thing because we're the big bad dogs here and we're going to put an end to you. And Gamaliel is finally starting to read the writing on the wall and he's saying, guys, something else is going on here. Are any of you afraid that the high priest is going to come after you? No. Anybody worried about the Sanhedrin? We haven't heard from the Sanhedrin in about 2,000 years because I think most of them died when God brought his judgment on that same city in A.D. 70. Is anybody worried about Gashmu? I'm not worried about Gashmu. But can I tell you, Joe Biden does not want me to preach this gospel. Joe Biden does not want me to say that Drag Queen Story Hour is a wicked abomination that will bring God's judgment. Right? Uh, there's Anthony Fauci does not want our church to meet. Right? And there are those even sadly among evangelicalism that are like, they're saying things like, can we just play nice? Can we not make them mad? Can we not say this? You know, can we not, uh, can, we, can we just let them celebrate this whole Respect for Marriage Act? Can we just, can we not preach this gospel that mentions that sin is a real thing and that specifically calls out sins like homosexuality and transgenderism, whatever? Can we just play nice? Because it's, because Joe Biden saith it. Brothers and sisters, in another millennia, no one will remember his name. Right? My township trustees that are being a pain are going to be forgotten. The, the senators that are backing whatever are going to be forgotten. Do not let the enemies of God now inhibit the proclamation of the gospel. Because the gospel is the rock against which God is crushing his enemies to dust. Praise the Lord. The result is always preaching the gospel. Sorry, I just talked a lot. Any questions? All right, cool. Sorry, I got really excited today. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I know we went a little no, over. No, I'm like, this is your wheelhouse. 
Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, my voice had gone out. I would have like tagged you in. So anyway, can I can I sit, can I ask? We have three questions we ask every time. What does this say about God? He is in control. Praise the Lord. Exactly right. And even Gamaliel agrees. Gamaliel saith it. Yeah. 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 And even Peter brings this up. He's like. God of our fathers raised this Jesus from the dead. This means, you guys know, like, we don't just share our faith with each other. We don't just share a faith even with, like, Peter and Paul. I share the same faith as Abraham. I share the same faith as Noah. The same as Abel. And Jesus says the blood of the prophets from Abel to, what is it, Zechariah. He's talking about, like, all of them, man. We get to share this, like, when I get to heaven... I don't know, it's just a cool thing. Like, this is not something that got made up from the foundation of the earth, from before it. This is all decreed. So, yeah, this is that God. All right, what does this say about us? Us? Ooh, yes, can only obey through the Holy Spirit. Um, And we almost, like, could, if we're not careful, we'll gloss over the whole Ananias and Sapphira thing. Notice two different things happening in this passage. Ananias and Sapphira are filled with Satan, and they lie. Just to get attention, whatever. God has no, does not allow it, and he fills everybody else with the Holy Spirit, and the gospel is preached. Cool. How does this is, I know it sounds so basic, but what does this have to do with the gospel? Or what does this passage have to say about the gospel? Yeah, should be proclaimed no matter what. It is true. It's always going to be true. Because this is, it's been like 2,000 years roughly since this stuff went down. Here we are. Can you, like, we're preaching this same gospel as Peter and Paul. Same gospel as John Knox and John Calvin and Martin Luther. Same gospel as Augustine. Praise the Lord, you guys. Preach the gospel to your kids. Because Jesus is coming back, and it might be next year, might be in another thousand years. But I want to be able to say, like, we were building his kingdom the whole time. All right? Cool. Um, I'm going to pray, and then who's on for the gospel? Cool. All right. Father God, um, thank you for your encouragement. Because uh, as we were talking about this morning, uh, it can get discouraging when we see how dark the world is. Uh, And Lord, but you are the author of creation who has spoken from the end, or from the beginning, all that will happen in the end. Nothing can thwart your will. There is not one molecule that is out of place in your perfect plan. Even the death of your son, you planned, you decreed it. And so, Lord, you also decreed his resurrection and our salvation. We praise you. And so, Lord, we trust you that we are in a dark part of the story, but you are the perfect author who is writing the best story ever, and every other good story is merely a reflection of it. And so, God, may your kingdom come and will be done. Uh, Lord, would your goodness break through? Would the power of your gospel continue to be efficacious? It sounds almost silly to pray it because we know it's going to be. We know it is. Uh, But, Lord, would you allow us to see the victory soon? And in any case, may we hope and trust in you and have joy knowing that your kingdom is coming, your will is being done. 
uh, here on earth as it is in heaven. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Yeah, this is the most important thing.